Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, faithful? El Sacco and Zane Nockby with you for what's going to be a huge edition of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. So much to talk about as we react to what the Niners did in the first wave of free agency. Some big moves that I think are really going to shape the landscape of where this team's headed. And listen, I think Kyle Shanahan's fingerprints are all over these transactions as the team brought in center Weston Richburg, running back Jarek McKinnon, uh, Jerry Itachu for the edge, and Zane a certain cornerback that I'll let, I'll let you take a bow for. Richard freaking Sherman. You called it, dude. And I don't, I don't have hot takes that often. And I'm not going to be like, oh, I called it. But you know what, man? This one, I got to say that, that it, feels, it feels good to be right because I, I wanted him. I wanted Richard Sherman on the 49ers. I, I feel like the best way for the 49ers to get where they need to be is to have some swagger and have some toughness and have an attitude on defense. And he brings all of that. And Al, I cannot wait to talk about that, his scheme fit, and so much more with you. It's going to be fun, and, and I like what they did, and, and we're going to break it all down and give our thoughts about what the moves mean like we always do. And talk about the positions that are currently still question marks. And one of those is the guard spot, especially with Daniel Kilgore gone. And we're lucky today. We'll actually get a chance to talk with one of the players who showed a lot of promise last year and, and is, is going to be able to compete to win one of those guard spots. And that's 49ers offensive lineman Eric Magnuson. After completing a stellar career at the University of Michigan, our guest signed with the 49ers and is an undrafted free agent last May. He started two games as a rookie in 2017. His versatility across the offensive line will be a benefit to the team for years to come. He is Eric Magnuson. Eric, thanks for the time, man. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, and it's uh, you're you're coming off a game-winning shot in the NCAA tournament. The you know go blue, right? I mean, how'd you feel about that? <laughs> that was a that was a big time win. That was exciting. Uh, <laughs> they didn't play that great of basketball in the in the you know early part of the game, but they finished it the right way. So that was exciting. Yeah, it's just so many upsets, man, and and good to see University of Michigan basketball back where it needs to be, right? So uh, super excited to see what happens in the in the tournament. But yeah, looking, to, looking back to your time at Michigan, Eric, you had 37 starts along the offensive line, including 24 in your junior and senior, senior seasons at tackle. That's a lot of repetition experience, man. Can you talk a little bit about how your time at Michigan and how, how it was playing for Jim Harbaugh? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a loaded question because uh, my time uh, at Michigan was uh, full of many ups and downs. Uh, first three years there was a lot of downs, you know, we weren't doing very well. Uh, played a little bit as a redshirt freshman and some as a redshirt sophomore, but really couldn't find my, my niche as a starter, like at what position I was going to play and all that. And then when Coach Harbaugh came in, um, I moved from guard to tackle and then finished starting every game in guard and tackle my junior and senior year, like you said. But, you know, playing for playing for Coach Harbaugh was, uh, you know, a life-changing experience just from that aspect. It got me got me prepared for NFL level on, on a mental stage along with the physical, the physical part of it. Um, the transition was a lot easier because of the terminology we used at Michigan was very similar to what many teams in NFL use. And the way he ran practices and the way he ran meetings was very similar to what you see in NFL. So that made the whole transition a lot easier for me. 
And then, Eric, after the draft happens and you find yourself as a free agent, I can imagine there's a lot running through your mind as far as what the best fit's going to be for you and what ultimately sold you on the 49ers. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was a crazy day, but going into the draft, my uh, my agents had come up with a list of best possible teams for me to go to uh, if I were to fall to free agency based upon depth and, um, you know, couple other things but the 49ers were at the top of the list and i i hadn't talked to the 49ers much in the pre-draft process so that was never they were never really on my mind and then i started getting calls from them on draft day during the draft saying that they're thinking about me and all that stuff like that um and then when it came down to it they didn't they didn't have a lot of depth interior wise uh, i thought that every team was going to move me to the inside so i they didn't have a lot of depth and of course after the draft they they signed some free agents and stuff like that but going into it uh it was based upon where i thought i had a, the best shot to play early and uh you know i, I made that decision and just kind of had to live with it even though they signed some other guys after the draft now it's been said that the kyle shanahan playbook it can take a, a while to digest how long did it take you before you got really comfortable with that playbook eric um not long i think oh i mean for me i've i've, I've had uh i had three different offensive coordinators in college um so i ran a few different types of offense some similar to coach shanahan's but the, the biggest thing was a transition of getting used to the, the new terminology um especially the last two years in college i we i ran the same system so i got pretty used to that that way of running offense and then come here and change uh from that you know uh, power style that we're doing in michigan to this more west coast style um it was more of the the terminology, and that was harder for me. But I mean, playing playing offense lines, playing offense lines, whether you're playing in the spread or playing power football, so it's not much different. And, and it seemed at first like they were going to bring you along slowly, and then injuries happen, and you find yourself on the field, and, and you really got some valuable experience, even though it was a small sample size. Can you talk a little bit about how that experience helped you last year as you move into your second season in your NFL career? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought the same thing. I made the I made the roster after um, camp, and uh, I thought maybe there would be a chance I get get a play, but it didn't. It wasn't looking very likely. I was the eighth offensive lineman, so I wasn't even suiting for most games. And then, um, like you said, we had injuries, so I was forced to play, and I had to play out of position, which is uh, a blessing. At the time, at the time, I didn't really like it because I wasn't able to play at my best because I had been playing all guard and center up to that point. Mm-hmm. And then I had to get, I had to play tackle in the games. But, um, I think the biggest thing is the the mental part of it. You know, I, I played against Philadelphia the second half, some of the second quarter, and then, um, against the Cardinals and the Seahawks, which both had really good defense ends and Chandler Jones and, uh, Michael Bennett, obviously. So I just mentally, I know I can do it. Uh, but the biggest thing is I know I can play a lot better than I played. Uh, I held my own for the most part, but, you know, I think ment- like the mental part of it is so huge, the confidence, especially for rookies and a guy like me who's undrafted. Uh, you start questioning yourself whether or not you're, you're supposed to be here and you're good enough, and then mm-hmm. to go out there and to do well enough that I felt like I I can play a lot better was it was mentally big for me. And so I think carrying that the next year will, will be a – a big step up for me compared to other offensive linemen who didn't get to play the rookie year. And you hurt your foot in the Seattle game, right? That was the game that you, you hurt your foot. Yeah. 
Well, how did that I happen? Thought... When, when, in, when in the game did that happen? Did you hear it pop? Like, like what went on with that? Uh, it was like in the second quarter, and I was uh, Michael. It was a pass play. Michael Bennett was on a bull rush against me, and I was trying to anchor down, stop his bull rush, and I, I felt my right. My, it was in my right foot, planting against my right foot. I felt it pop, and uh, I think it was on a third down. So I came off the field, and I had the the trainers tape it. But I mean, immediately my I when it happened, I was like, oh, I just broke my foot. You know, I whatever i'll get through this game and then i'll worry about it then i just had them tape my foot tighter and then uh <laughs> i went i went in and got an mri after the game because i saw the doctor and he's like yeah it doesn't feel like a break your bones everything feels good but something seems wrong so then i got an mri after the game and i had torn my uh Liz frank ligament so yeah it was a bummer but at least i got to play and how's your health now how's the foot now I'm 100. percent I've been uh, I stayed up here this whole off season. Um, I've been training with our our strength coach and doing all my rehab and stuff with our trainers here at the facility. Um, so I mean, I actually got my my clearance today. Um, nice. It's been a it's been a long process, but I've been I've been you know going at it every single day, and uh, you know I'm I'm ready for OTA. So it was a big day for me. <laughs> and obviously, the whole season turned around for you guys when Jimmy Garoppolo took over uh, behind center. Can you kind of take us through the feeling in the locker room when he was first acquired and how the team changed after that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was totally different, but you know, like everyone, it's pretty funny because everyone always asks me, what changed once, once Jimmy got there? How much, how much better do you guys get? And, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's at the beginning of the year, I don't know if you remember, but there was like a four or five game span where we, we were close. We were losing games by three points, two points, stuff like that, where it wasn't right. like we were just getting blown out. And then, and when that happens, it means there's something, there's the little things that aren't happening, whether it's, uh, you know, misassignments or something small that could happen in the game that, that changes that. And then when Jimmy got there, he gave us a boost of confidence because he's obviously playing very well. And then those guys who were making those mistakes early in the year, that stops once you have more confidence. You have, the defense plays better once the offense can stay on the field longer, and everything starts to click. And uh, it's a pretty, it's a pretty special thing to watch when a when a team is clicking all together at the same time because you can win multiple games in a row. And you know, unfortunately for us, it happened at the end of the year, but also fortunately for us, we have that momentum going into next year. You guys felt it was in there. I mean, Kyle kept you guys together, and you, you knew even before Jimmy got there, you knew you were close, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Kyle is a Kyle is a young coach, obviously. He doesn't have a lot of experience being a head coach, but he uh, he does a great job. Of it. Even even early in the year, like you're saying, he kept on saying, you know, we're right there, we're right there. It's gonna happen. It's not a matter of if we're gonna win, it's when. Just keep on, you know, we got to keep on getting better every day. And um, it's it's hard it's hard to keep a team at zero and nine motivated to go to practice and motivated to to finish tough games and stuff like that but he did a he did a great job um just keeping everyone on track and reminding everyone that you know it's not it's not like we're a bad team or we're getting blown out every single week we're right there we just got to finish we got to do the little things and um you know obviously obviously at the end of the year we started doing that so that was very impressive to watch him do that 
in looking at the offseason, you know, the 49ers have been busy so far. And, and the big name, you know, obviously when you bring in a rival and a future Hall of Famer, Richard Sherman's getting a lot of attention. And I'm just curious, as as a player on the team, where were you when you heard about Sherman? And, and just what were your thoughts that, that wow, I'm going to be a teammate with this guy now? Uh, yeah, interesting story. I was actually uh, in Washington, D.C. I was flying back on, on my flight, and Joe Montana was on my flight out of all people in the world. Here really? Today. Yeah, he was on my flight, and um, so we were in the air, and I, I mean, I didn't know anything happened, and then I landed, and uh, my I got all the ESPN updates that Sherman had signed and all that stuff like that, So, um, and all these people were going up to Joe Montana, and I, well, that's, I knew right away something had happened, because a bunch of people were saying something to him, and he was, he was uh, laughing and smiling, so something was up, but that's how I found out. Yeah, have you kind of had a chance to speak with uh, Richard Sherman yet? Have you had a chance to get contact with him? No, I haven't. Uh, he, I don't, I don't know where he is. He's probably training. I think he's from LA, right? So he's he's probably training there, doing whatever he does in the off season. Uh, most guys aren't around the building until we start OTAs. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure he has better things to do than talk to a, a rookie offensive lineman. <laughs> hey, you're, you're second year offensive lineman now. Give yourself yeah, some credit. Sec- yes, second year veteran. Veteran, <laughs> veteran offensive lineman, exactly. <laughs> in, in, all, in all fairness, Eric, when everybody sees Joe Montana, they act like that. So I'm not, I'm not sure if it was because of the Sherman thing or if it was because he was Joe Montana. I mean, everybody sees him and they want to like flock to him, right? So <laughs> I'm not yeah, sure. What, I'm not sure if it was either. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, I think actually they kept on telling Joe Montana that I was on his flight. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Right, like Eric you Magnuson know the better an offensive lineman Eric Magnuson was on your flight, Joe. <laughs> yeah, he, I, he asked me for his autograph. Oh my, I couldn't do it though. There you go. So you got Richard Sherman, Jarek McKinnon, Weston Richburg, who's going to hopefully play alongside you on the offensive line uh, that have been added to the team. What are your expectations for the team this year? And do you feel like anything less than the playoffs is a disappointment for the squad? Ooh, uh, expectations. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the expectations going into every year is to win your division. Um, ultimately, win the Super Bowl. But, uh, yeah, I think if we're able to win our division, that would be huge. Because, um, you know, there's not a bad team in our division. Um, I don't know. We obviously you don't know how Seattle and Arizona is going to be this year with their losses and the people they've gained and everything like that. But LA is definitely a top team in the NFL now. Uh, they're one of the better teams like throughout the whole NFL. So if you're able to to win this division, you're you're a pretty good team. Um, I don't think it's a it's a time to say whether it's a playoff or bust year um i do think that the expectations are to make it to the playoffs now maybe maybe last year you could say that uh the expectations weren't there new coach all that stuff new management but now that everyone's had a a year under the system they've had they're going to get some more of their guys in the from the draft and free agency and stuff like that i think definitely it is uh the expectation is to make the playoffs for sure and definitely to win the division and with all the changes that have happened, Eric, you in terms of your personal goals, and I, I know you don't want to see teammates leave. You know, you don't want to see somebody like Daniel Kilgore leave. But at the same token, it's it's kind of opened a door for you, hasn't it? In terms of the backup center and even starting guard, 
you really have an opportunity to come in this offseason and, and make a mark on this team and push for playing time. So while you don't want to see your teammates leave, how excited are you personally just to, to have an opportunity to show what you can do? Yeah, uh, I'm very excited. Um, it is it is kind of the, the terrible part about this sport is you become close to some of the guys and then they leave, whether it's treated or cut or whatever. Um, I learned a lot from Dan as, you know, both as a center and just as being a professional and being a good person. But hopefully now that they see me play, they understand that I can, I can hold my own and I can get better. So I just need the opportunity to prove myself. If, if they think I'm going to be a, a tackle or guard or center, whatever it is, I just want the opportunity to go in there and prove that I can, I can play and make an impact and be a starter. Um, you know, I'm I'm in an interesting spot just because I'm coming off an injury and I obviously wasn't drafted by them. So whether or not I'm in their plans to start, that's you know, I don't really I don't really care at this point. I just I want the opportunity to go in, whether it's in practice or preseason games, to to prove myself and to earn a spot. Eric, you have a team. You have a show with your old teammate Kyle that you were doing called the Huge Show, and as a couple of guys, oh, it's who... actually called it's actually called Gone Piggin. Oh, it's Gone Piggin. Okay. I apologize for that. So, excellent, excellent name, Al. We need to we need to make note of that. We got to change the name. Of our we got to change our name. Yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, something, God, something yeah, gone it, it was about to take off. You guys should uh, get on that. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, as a couple of guys who have their own show, Al and I have a special interest in that. And can you take us uh-huh. through uh, <laughs> a little bit of how how that show came together? <laughs> so yeah, like you said, one of my my best friends from. College, Kyle Kalis, who's uh, with the Redskins now. And I were uh, interested in doing a uh, comedy show that we thought it was going to be kind of like Wayne's World version of athletics. But That sounds awesome. One, that sounds <laughs> awesome. <laughs> one, yeah, yeah. It was awesome. And it, we had everything there. You know, we uh, wore overalls on stage and. Uh, we talked about really weird stuff and we uh we had everything set up it's just it wasn't it wasn't right time because what we were talking about and what we wanted to talk about wasn't really going to help our future as athletes so we decided to put that one on hold and get back to comedy at a later time but hopefully uh hopefully me and Kyle can get at least a podcast going at some point because we do like to uh try to make people laugh sometimes so the humor is not always the the best for everyone. <laughs> yeah, if you if you ever want to do a collab, man, let us know. You are always welcome on the show. Let us know, man. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> might have to might have to take you up on that. <laughs> and you're a big Will Ferrell guy. I read. I think I read that about you, right? I do like Will Ferrell. I do like uh, Seth Rogen. Uh, big big uh, big Chris Farley fan. Oh, like okay, Jack Black. cool. Yeah, I like Jack Black a lot, too. Nice, man. Do you have, like, a favorite Will Ferrell movie, or is it kind of all of them type thing? Favorite Will Ferrell movie? Uh, I don't know. I think The Elf is hilarious. Um, yeah, Elf, that's one of those movies you never get sick of. Right, definitely. Um, I mean, I don't know. All of, all of his movies are funny, obviously, but Talladega Nights is great. All right, Eric, well, we cannot thank you enough for the time. Uh, we're all pulling for you this year. Best of luck to you. And hey, we got to do this again, man. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate you guys having me on. All right. Thank you very Thanks, much. Eric. Good luck. All right. Bye. Thank you. 
Thanks again to Eric. What a cool guy. Really excited to see what he can bring to the team. Follow Eric on Twitter. His Twitter handle is EricMagnuson78. Definitely a good follow. And he's actually represented now, Zane, by our buddy Matt Allman, who also represents Adrian Colbert. And Matt Breida, he's their marketing agent. And you could find Matt on Twitter as well at Matt Allman 330. And Matt's another awesome 49ers follow because he's also not only does he represent these guys, he actually grew up as a 49ers fan. So it's it's cool for him to be able to represent players on, on the team that he grew up rooting for. And um Eric was a pretty great interview, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Eric was great. I, I think that, and I'm gonna I, w- once he gets his podcast up and going, dude, I will be one of the first subscribers, man. He is a funny dude. Like we we get a chance to know these guys a little bit off air and everything, and and he's a really funny guy. And shout out to Matt Allman again. You know he came on the show and he's awesome. And he represents Juju Smith Schuster too, right? So it's not he does, just yeah, yep. he's, yeah. he's doing big things, right? So yeah, he's up uh, and know. coming in the business. He really is up and coming in the business. I couldn't be happier for him because he's a great dude. You know he's he's a friend of ours. So re- really really happy for him. And we talked about offensive line, obviously with with Eric and I, that's what I wanted to start with this free agent moves. I, I know, I know Richard Sherman's the big name in, in Zane. You got to take your bow. You were right. I told you you were crazy, you know, and you ended up being <laughs> spot on. Um, but I just want to start off with what I thought was the big signing and that's Richburg at center. And the reason I think he's, he's the, he's the name to watch because if you look at Kyle Shanahan's offense, center is so important to have that field general and the Falcons, when Shanahan was the offensive coordinator there, they made it a point to go out and get Alex Mack. That was the big move, and that that really changed their offense that next year. And I don't know that Richburg is as good as Alex Mack. I mean, Alex Mack is you know one of the top centers in the league, but Richburg is is a very good player in his own right, and I think he can become one of the top centers in the league. He's also one of the, he's already one of the top pass blocking centers in the, in the league. Um, if you look at his pass blocking numbers in 2017, now he only played four games. But in 173 snaps, he only allowed three QB pressures. And in his career, in over 2,000 pass blocking snaps, he's only allowed four sacks. So he's always been a good pass protector. And I think this system is going to allow him to be a, a better run blocker as well. And it's an exciting move for them. And he's actually been pretty durable up until last season. He, he had starts in 50 of his last 51 games. And concussions slowed him down last year. But I don't know how closely follow, people follow the Giants, but the Giants had a ton of issues. And, you know, their head coach at the time, McAdoo, Ben McAdoo, kind of ran things a little shady. And from what I read and heard that Richburg was actually ready to come off of IR and the Giants held him back. And that could have had a lot to do with the fact that he wasn't in their future plans and they had a young center that they wanted to groom. But I'm not as worried about his injuries. You know, anytime somebody goes on IR the year before, it's a red flag, but he's been durable in his career. And I really believe this signing is one that can help this offensive line take off. So a couple of things. The first thing about the Giants, they were a total mess. They were a total mess under Ben McAdoo. They, the team pretty much quit. They, all their inju- receivers were injured. Eli Manning was a shell of his former self. They didn't really have a running game. Their defense was atrocious. Like They basically quit on their coach. Uh, or should I say their, their coach pretty much quit on them. And it was, it was widely known. And his days were numbered. And he was probably fired a few weeks later than he should have been fired. So I don't really judge... And anybody on that team's performance to be really poor. It's kind of on the curve, Al. And the same goes for Justin Pugh, who played next to, to Western Richburg at, at guard. I don't really judge those guys and say that, oh, well, they had a bad year and they're not worth the money. But it's, it's like, what team did you play on, right? Like, what was the system that you were playing in? I feel like when you play with better players and a better system, you yourself raise your game up as well. So I'm really curious to see what he does on, uh, in the Kyle Shanahan system. Now, 
the second thing is that it's interesting the 49ers traded for, or sorry, signed a center and made Kilgore expendable because last year, if you remember, when CJ Beathard and Brian Horry were starting, the, the center of the line was really, really, was really, really weak. It wasn't, they weren't performing well. They weren't blocking very well. They were allowing a lot of quarterback hits. When Jimmy Garoppolo came in, they played significantly better, but there was still room for improvement. So Kilgore was, he was a good player and he was a good, a good kind of, stopgap until they found a permanent solution at center but if you look at what the rams are trying to do with and, and i don't know if you heard this but and donkin sue is visiting the rams and if he ultimately signs with them you're talking about possibly the best defensive tackle duo in the game with aaron donald who i think is the best defensive player in the game and Ndamukong sue next to him you need to have a strong interior line and it's interesting that they signed richburg to that deal with this potentially happening obviously i don't think that they knew that this was going to happen, but it's just an added bonus. And the fact that he can pass block is, is the biggest thing because Al, the 49ers, I don't think they're going to run up the middle very much. This is going to be like a stretch run mm-hmm. team or like an outside yeah. pitch team. They're going to run off tackle. They're going to, they're going to pull guards. They're not going to run up the middle very much. They're going to be mo- most kind of most like that Atlanta team that Kyle Shanahan had that he took to the Super Bowl. And I think that Western Richburg fits that sort of mold of that center who can, pass block really well, but is athletic enough to get outside and throw some blocks. Yeah. And the thing about Richburg and Brown and Staley, like you said, that they're excellent pass blockers, but the one thing that sticks out to me is that they still need help at, at those guard positions. And I do believe those three guys, which you have at center in your bookends of tackles, uh, great makings of an offensive line, but what, what are they going to do at guard, especially with Kilgore getting shipped out now? And I read a report that, that he wanted to be traded. He didn't want to play guard. So where, where do the Niners stand with that now? And they have Lake and Tomlinson who played better towards the end of last season. And, and look, maybe the coaching staff likes him and, and thinks he can be one of the guards. Beyond that, they have Eric Magnuson, who, who could be a nice backup at center and guard, could definitely win one of the guard positions too, but his versatility is going to help him. After that, listen, Joshua Garnett, as much as he's a wild card, you have to figure whatever the 49ers are going to get from him right now is is. You know, it's it's found money, basically. I don't think they're really relying on him, which, you know, is tough because that's really a waste of a draft pick. But don't know what you're going to get out of him. And I, I don't see, I, I can't see how Zane Beatles makes the team again. I, 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 he's, you know, he they can get out of his contract and not owe him any money. You have to feel that they're going to bring in a guard via the draft, and, and we'll get into that in our draft show. But keep an eye out, too, if, if there's another vet out there that they can get for cheap, even if it's just for competition. Feel like there's still improvement that can be made at the, at, the, at the guard position, and we'll see what they do. Garnett's apparently improved his body or transformed his body. He was kind of a, a road grader type of offensive lineman that Trent Balky brought in for their run first offense that they used to run, which seems like ages ago compared to what we've seen from Kyle Shanahan recently. And he doesn't really fit what they want to do, but I think that because of the fact that he has potential and he's he's been injured and they really don't know what he has, I think that they're willing to give him a shot kind of like Eric Armstead on the other side of the ball. Like Eric Armstead has been, been injured very often as well, and they don't really know what he can do. So they, he's going to get a shot, obviously, as well. So I think that Josh Garnett is probably going to get the first crack at starting at the right guard position. At left guard, I don't know what they're going to do because Brandon Fosco has gone. Uh, again, Eric Magnuson, he's he's really versatile. He can actually play all five offensive line positions. So that's the, I think he'll make the team just based off of that, and I think that yeah, he's going to get a shot. And... Again, as you said, the draft, like the, the draft is kind of loaded at guard. It's it's a pretty deep draft at that position. So I think that they have a lot of options. I 
don't know if they thought that Kilgore would leave. I don't I don't know if that was in their plans, but I do know Al that these some of these salaries they were paying these these guards like what Sitton got and what uh, you know what these guys were getting like Justin Pugh like these guys I, they didn't Forty ers didn't want to pay that much for a guard and I understand it I get it uh, mm-hmm. they feel like they have that solution either on the roster or or in the draft and the interesting thing Al is that when you have a good quarterback and Jimmy Garoppolo is a good quarterback. Let's not, let's make no mistake about it. Like he's only started seven games, but he is, he is a good quarterback. When you have a good quarterback, it kind of elevates the the level of everybody else. And I, I posted this on Twitter a few weeks ago of how a good quarterback can make a mediocre receiver serviceable, serviceable receiver, good, a good receiver, great, and a great receiver elite. I feel like he has that, that same sort of effect on an, on an offensive line too. Like if you take an average offensive lineman and you put him with a good quarterback, who can get the ball out in a hurry, there's no rush getting to him. He's not getting hit. It doesn't matter how, if this offensive line is a turnstile, if, if the quarterback gets rid of the ball within three seconds, it doesn't matter. And I posted this on Twitter today regarding the Sioux thing because people are, are all of a sudden talking about how feared that pass rush defensive line is going to be. The, what makes Jimmy Garoppolo really good is that he gets rid of the ball. He doesn't hold on to the ball. He gets rid of it really quickly, finds the open guy, gets rid of it, and it's gone. That's why he doesn't take hits. That's why he doesn't take sacks. Like he's been hit a few times, attacked a few times, but he he's able to get rid of the ball really quickly. And I feel like because of that, you don't need an elite guard. You need somebody who's serviceable that they can potentially mold into the proper type of player for that position. And I think that's what their philosophy philosophy is going to be. Kevin Jones and I talked about this too. There's Kyle kind of likes his ragtag guards. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, so, yeah. so maybe, you know, he's just looking for system fits right now and you got to trust that he knows what he's talking about. And before we get to Sherman in the defense, I, I wanted to stay on offense with McKinnon and in terms of Shanahan system fits. This is one of those pickups. And I was shocked, absolutely shocked at the McKinnon signing. And what did they say? What was Deion Lewis's contract? Do you remember how much he got? I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was similar to what we like, got. Well, I think I think it was like something like five million a year, and maybe like ten million guaranteed. I don't know the specifics. I know it was five million a year annually. And when I saw that, and I knew the Niners liked Lewis, I said, "All right, we'll keep an eye on McKinnon because if Lewis got this, McKinnon will probably get less." I mean, I couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> you know, McK- McKinnon ends up getting four years and thirty million, and I know it's it's really a very expensive one year deal. They gave him a big contract and. I didn't know how to judge him in terms, you know, if, if you come on the show and, and you give stats because what he did in the past doesn't matter. And the example I'll give of that is Marquise Goodwin. How many times did I say on the show, well, Goodwin's only got 780 yards career receiving. We don't know what he's going to be. Well, Shanahan the Niners saw what he could be, and he goes from having 780 yards career receiving to 962 last year. He breaks out, mm-hmm. and now, now he's one of the centerpieces of this offense moving forward. And you look at McKinnon, and, you know, I mean, Minnesota had issues on the offensive line, but he averaged 3.4 yards per carry two years ago, 3.8 last year. He did have 94 catches and you saw some, if you see on film, some of the things he can do in space. And he's somebody that I think Kyle Shanahan looked at and says, okay, I can do this with this guy. I can do that with this guy. And I don't believe he's ever going to be a 20 carry guy, but he can touch the ball, you know, carry the ball 12, maybe 15 times. And, and what they can do with him out of the backfield will be extraordinary to watch. I love McKinnon as a player for this team. The question I have, and, and maybe this is nitpicking, I just wonder, could they have found the same thing in the draft for a lot cheaper? That's what I wonder. But listen, the way I feel about it is if this is a hand-picked piece for Kyle Shanahan, who might argue with him? He knows what's going to work in his offense. He knows 
who the type of players he wants. And there's no doubt in my mind that McKinnon, if he stays healthy, is going to produce. People kind of question the Kyle Juszczyk, including us. People kind of question the Kyle Juszczyk signing last year because they didn't really see the system fit. They didn't really see how he was going to fit in the offense or how he was going to be an epi- a weapon and what his role was really going to be until Jimmy Garoppolo came into the picture. When Jimmy Garoppolo came into the picture, Juszczyk was all over the field. He was used as a receiver. He was used as a runner. He was used as a blocker. And he was used, I think, the way that they truly envisioned him. So I think that they feel the same way about McKinnon. And if you look at what his skill set is, his skill set is, is being able to kind of be a do-it-all back. And both of the running backs that probably will split time, McKinnon and Matt, and Matt Breda, they'll, they both have similar skill sets in terms of being able to catch the ball out of the backfield, being able to run, being able to block a little bit. These guys are going to be able to get the ball in space. That's, that's the idea is get the ball to them in space. Al, if you look at the, the and I, I posted this not as a comparison of resumes, but as a comparison of physical stature, uh, Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman are very similar in physical stature to Brita and, and McKinnon uh, in terms of height and weight. And when Kyle Shanahan went to Atlanta in 2015, that's kind of when Devontae, Devontae Freeman blew up. And then Tevin Coleman comes to the picture, and both of those guys are kind of like a, you know, like a tandem back there. And they really both flourished in that, in that offense. And I think that they have the same sort of vision for this, this offense here. So I don't necessarily care about the big contract. I think that they have money to spend. And, and if this was a situation where they were really up against the cap spend and they gave them this big contract, then I would have been like, okay, what are you doing? But they gave what was pretty much market value. I mean, Deion Lewis was, has very similar skills and is a very similar running back. And Deion Lewis got a similar contract. I think it was like, uh, what was it, four years and $24 million or something like that? Like, so, I think it was five million years. On average. He's five million, yeah, and then there's up to up to I believe up to three million in incentives too. So it's he's got the the potential to make twenty three million over the life of the contract. But the first of all, uh, as a as an aside, contracts in the NFL aren't what you think they are. Like the final number is not what they announce because players rarely reach that number. It's basically for face value only. And the reason why I say this is because there are certain accelerators and contracts, bonuses. Uh, guys can get salary deferred. All of these things can happen. Guys can get cut before their contract is up. So all of these these things happen. So people freak out and see these things uh, on the surface of it and say that it's it's a big deal and you shouldn't get this money. But the reality of it is that it's not it's not everything is not as it seems when it comes to NFL contracts. So I just want to I want to throw that in there um, for everybody as well. But regarding his his fit in the offense, I really feel like he can be a really good player in this offense. I really do, Al. I have a really good feeling about what Jarek McKinnon is going to be able to bring. And I think that you're going to see a huge season out of him. I'm, it's, it's March right now, and I'm calling it right now. Jarek McKinnon is going to have a monster season in this offense. I agree with you, and I'm excited about Richburg. I'm excited about McKinnon. The one thing they didn't adjust, or at least they haven't yet, I, you know, I've been talking about this for a while. I just I want to know who that red zone target is, dude. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that the guys that they have on the team can't get it done. But especially if we look at the receiver group, I think I threw out the stat last week that Garcon and Goodwin have 20 touchdowns in the last 99 games. Really good receivers. They don't score a lot of touchdowns. And if you look at the Niners for the last 14 years, 49ers wide receivers have had six touchdown catches or less in 11 of the last 14 years. They've had five or less than nine in the last 14 years. And Vernon Davis had some good years in there at tight end in terms of touchdowns. He had 13 a couple of years in his Niners career. 
but the, the 49ers haven't had that red zone guy. And that's, that's why I really liked Allen Robinson. And I thought Robinson got fair market value, but if the Niners didn't want to go that high, it's understandable. You know, it's their prerogative to do what they want to do, but I still think there's, they need that big target. I like Tyler Eifert coming in for a year on prove it deal as a move tight end, not to take over for George Kittle by any means. Kittle would have still been the starting tight end, but you just use Eifert as a role player and in red zone situations and for Shanahan to move around a little bit. Apparently they had interest in Eifert. So, but that didn't happen. We'll see if they address it in the draft. We'll see if they pick somebody up later in free agency. That's the only piece really from the offense that I'm still like, you know, do, do we need something else there? Are we going to make it field goals again next year? A little bit worried about that. I think they're going to draft somebody. And there are a few guys still out there, like Jordan Matthews being one of them, that that could be a fit. But I think that they're they're really going to draft someone. And the guy on my on my radar is the receiver from Notre Dame, Equinemius St. Brown. Did I, did I pronounce that right? Equinemius? Yeah, you're close enough. You're close enough. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> um, he, he's 6'5", 214, ran a 4'4", 40 at the Combine. And this guy, he's he is a serious red zone threat. He's got the height. He's got the build. He's got put up 20, 20 reps on the bench press. So he's, he's, it's not like he's a weak guy. I think that he's definitely a guy that you can look at in rounds three and four, a guy that, that you can... You don't necessarily have to get at the top of the draft, but that will be around in any round after the second round. And I want to point this out. I, I keep pointing this out, but I want to I want to emphasize it that the 49ers pick at the end of the second round. And then they pick at the beginning of the third round. They have two third round picks. And those two picks are less than 10 picks apart of the two third round picks. So they'll have three picks and about uh, 40 total picks. Mm-hmm. So that's the time where they can I can either make a move up or they can get guys like St. Brown uh, easily because they can pick back to back. So they're not necessarily reaching. And I think that that's what they're going to have to do. And, and, and Al, if you look at it, you don't really need, I don't think you need like elite receivers in this offense. I really don't. And I might sound crazy, but if you look at the way new England built their offense around Tom Brady, and I'm not comparing Jimmy Garoppolo to Tom Brady, but I'm saying that this is the vision the 49ers have for him. Like he is their version. He, he plays the role of Tom Brady in this offense, basically. Right. That's what I'm saying. They don't ever have any name receivers. They don't ever have guys that are that are household names. They don't ever have guys. Just that one year with Randy Moss, it was a couple of years with Randy Moss that that they went to the Super Bowl, but they never never really won anything with them. It's always just Tom Brady and a bunch of guys. Yeah, that's you're right, but but he has Gronkowski, dude. <laughs> Gronkowski's a monster. Gronkowski scores a ton of touchdowns. I was, it's funny you said that because I was talking about that some some the other day, and they're like, "Well, Brady never had anybody. Brady had Moss for like three years, and he had Gronk." He's had people, yeah, but you know, I mean, can you about, do it without him? Yeah, he has. What about he had Moss? Moss right? he, he had Moss in, in the, the years what before. Moss? When the, it was mostly defense. I mean, that was more of a defensive team. Brady wasn't really lighting it up until you know two thousand what six seven in that range. You know, in the early two thousands, it was more defense and him being clutch. You know, he's kind of like Derek Jeter in the early two thousands. You know, he was clutch but not putting up huge huge numbers. But then Brady got Moss, and then Brady got. Gronkowski so and I know Brady's done it when Gronk has been hurt too but the Patriots have had that piece and I just feel like the Niners kind of still need that red zone monster and the reason I say that is listen they could still come out win 12 games next year sure who knows in the NFL but realistically I think they're somewhere between best case scenario maybe about a 10 win team but mm-hmm. in the NFL a few plays a few points can knock that you down to a seven win team in a freaky year so if they have a guy who can change the tide and get those touchdowns, gets the seven points instead of three, 
that could be a couple wins for them. And that's, that's, that's just where I worry. And listen, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe like you said, Garoppolo is that good that he can be the Brady and he can be the great equalizer and Shanahan can scheme guys open and George Kittle who had a really good rookie season. Maybe he ends up being a touchdown guy. We'll see. But for me, again, just playing devil's advocate, it worries me a little not to, sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. I don't know you're good. I, I think that uh, a lot of, uh, I appreciate a lot of that, what you said, you know, and I, and I agree. But that being said, I, I don't think that they necessarily need to star is what I'm saying, right? My point is that they don't necessarily need like a household name to do that. Maybe it's a guy that can become a household name down the line. But Robert Gronkowski, he was not the Rob Gronkowski that we see now coming out of college. He had a neck injury, right? So basically he developed, he developed into a monster. So I'm, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm going for here is that if they can find a guy to draft and develop or find a guy that's like a second tier guy to develop, I think that's going to be the way that they're, that they're going to go about it. Like they, they weren't never really going to get Allen Robinson. They were never really going to get Sammy Watkins. I don't think that they were ever in on those guys. Like seriously, they probably kicked the tires because I think that they feel like they can get the most out of what they have now, plus what they add in the draft. So you'll definitely see at least one receiver come off the board in the draft and go to the 49ers, but it's just a matter of who. And I think that it's going to be St. Brown personally. All right, so we hit up on the offense. Now let's move to the defense, and we'll talk about your guy, Richard Sherman. And my main concern with him is when I heard they were interested in him was, was his Achilles, and I'm like, oh, man, at 30 years old, coming off an Achilles, is he going to be the same player? But 80% of Richard Sherman is still better than most of the cornerbacks in this league. And if he is healed, and listen, people right. come back from Achilles all the time. If, if, he's, if Richard Sherman is Richard Sherman, he was by far the best available cornerback. You're going to have a healthy Richard Sherman over... Tremaine Johnson and Malcolm Butler, absolutely. Sherman's a future Hall of Famer. And when you look at him, and in terms of the character stuff, and there, you know, I know a lot of fans are like, I can't root for him. Listen, he's arrogant, so what? There's worse guys out there. You know, he's not getting arrested. If, if he comes across kind of a jerk, who cares? You know, it's not a big deal. And I'll be honest with you, I, I was on a conference call with him, and there were some technical difficulties on the conference call, and he couldn't have been more patient. He was patient and professional and nice. It, he, he came across just fantastic to me on he really did and so i'm not concerned about his character at all i think he's gonna be fine in the locker room and look the guy's the guy's a monster he has 32 career interceptions he he's played 105 straight regular season games up until when he hurt his achilles and, and 12 more in the playoffs so he's been crazy dur- durable he's allowed below a 50 percent completion percentage in all but one season and it was 51.8 in the one season it was over 50 uh, he's never had a passer rating against him higher than 75.5. He hasn't allowed a 100-yard receiver in the last 94 games. The guy is a stud Hall of Famer. He's a perfect fit for the system. And if he's healthy, man, unbelievable signing. And on top of that, he's going to be a coach on the field. The The thing people don't realize about him is that this guy's off the charts intelligent. And I realized this a few years ago. When probably when, when I was still living in Seattle and I, and I saw and heard a lot more from him living up there. And the guy, it seems like the on-field stuff, all the garbage, and some of it is garbage, right, that he, that he pulled and, and all of those things. Uh, all of those things seem like it's kind of like an, a character that he plays because if, he, if you listen to, the, to him talk off the field or talk on social issues or talk about whatever, he's actually a really thoughtful person. He's actually a really, really thought-provoking person. Like he'll, he'll ask the right questions and he'll say really interesting things. So he's, he's, he's kind of like an enigma. And I think that I'm personally, I'm thrilled that he's on the 49ers. Like I know that a lot of fans don't like it. I know a lot of fans don't like him, but you have to remember that he chose to come here over everywhere else. That means he like to him, he has no hard feelings. If he had any hard feelings, he wouldn't be here. 
So he doesn't have any problem with the fans. He doesn't have any problem with the team. He even came out and said as much on the KNBR interview that he did the, the day after he signed that he had an issue with the previous coaching regime with Jim Harbaugh. And it was never with the fans. It was never about the players. It was never about the city. It was about Jim Harbaugh. And all of that stuff leaked into like a team-wide thing. And, and we all know how that ended. But I feel like if you want to take the next step, like I said in the intro, if you want to take the next step, if you want to become that defense that is feared and intimidating, you have to have at least one of these guys on your defense. And the the biggest part is he's a scheme fit. He's a perfect fit from the scheme. He comes from that scheme. So he's not going to have any problem adjusting. The only thing is, is that he's wearing a different color jersey and he's, he has different different faces in the huddle with him. That's it. He's playing the same scheme, same role. And I think that his problems, like he was declining a little bit in Seattle. There's no doubt, right? Like the, there were times where he was getting beat more frequently in the last few years. But I think his problems started when they started trying to move him around. I think that if they just stick him on the right side and say, hey, you're going to play the right side, no matter who's over there, you're in charge of that half of the field. That will basically allow the 49ers. And I think that Adrian Colbert will start at safety. He's got great range. They'll allow Adrian Colbert to double over the top on the other side if they need it. And that'll allow Jaquaski Tart to play in, in the box where he wants to play. So the, at the addition of Richard Sherman literally changes the outlook of the entire defense if he's healthy because he can shut down one side of the field. And the contract that they paid him, it's, I believe, $5 million total if he gets all his guarantees this year. He's got, uh, he's got a roster bonus as well as his, his base salary. So it's, it's, I mean, come on, $5 million for the first year of Richard Sherman to see what he has, man? I will absolutely take that flyer 10 out of 10 times. And they still need a little bit more depth at corner, and they may still take one early early in the draft. But I'm liking the way the secondary is looking, and the linebacker corps to bring back Brock Coyle, which I thought was a really important piece because he played well when he started last year. And you don't know what's going on with Ruben Foster, and bringing him in was was he's the only guy they brought back of their own guys. But really felt that was an important piece to get back in the fold, and I'm glad that he's there. He's going to be big on special teams and provide depth at the linebacker position. Yeah, and he's another one of those former Seahawks. And it's funny because Sherman actually mentioned these guys. That there are several former Seahawks on the 49ers right now. There's Gary Gilliam on the offensive line. There's Cassius Marsh, who's the pass rusher, who I think will will probably get some play. He played really well last year when he got a chance. And obviously Malcolm Smith coming back from injury and, as you mentioned, Brock Coyle. So it's kind of and, – and, and Robert Sala, we can't forget him. It's his, his scheme coming from the Seahawks, right? So – it's it's that comfort level too that these guys will have playing with each other and another you know another kind of sound prudent sort of signing that the 49ers had with bringing Brock, bringing Brock Coyle back a guy that already knows the scheme knows the system knows some of the players around him played next to Malcolm Smith in Seattle so I think that that whole continuity is going to make a big difference and Al I don't want to I don't want to skip over this thought at all and I want to emphasize this clearly the 49ers take care of they took care of all of their needs pretty much aside from pass rusher mm-hmm. they took care of all of their needs before the draft. Like they're basically free to do whatever they want at pick number nine. If they want to trade back, they can do that. If they want to trade up, they can do that. If they want to use the pick. They can do that. They can literally do whatever they want because they afforded themselves the opportunity by getting all these guys to fill these holes. Now, some of these guys may not start and all that stuff, but the, the fact of the matter is that a year ago, Al, the 49ers were just looking for bodies. They were looking for 52 guys that could, they could just put uniforms and helmets on, put out there and, and hope to compete. This year is much different. They've got, they know which guys are starting. They know where the holes are. They know what positions they want to address. And they addressed a lot of them in free agency. So I think that the, the biggest hole right now, is, as we discussed, is guard. But even then, like the guard, the guard class is deep, and and they just did such an excellent job. I, 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 
I can't emphasize that enough. They did an excellent job of filling their needs before the draft even came, so they don't have to draft out of desperation. They got to fill that pad. They got to get somebody to put pressure on the quarterback, though. And they brought in Jerry Tachu, who who I really liked on a, on a, on a one year prove it deal. I, I did, and that's mm-hmm. what they brought him in on. And he had six sacks in 2015, but he's only had two in the last couple of years, and he's been really he's had a lot of injuries the past couple seasons he's only played 12 games in in 2016 and 2017 and again i like the upside there but it kind of feels like he's just another guy being given a chance you have him you have marsh you have armstead you have peter tampenu and itachi played behind bosa and ingram so he's not gonna get a lot of playing time there regardless we'll see what he brings but right now they have a lot of people that they're hoping eli harold they said is going to get some pass rushing snaps too they have a lot of guys are hoping to develop they're hoping to take the next step but they have to invest serious drafts capital in a pass rusher whether it's in the first round or the second round or the third round they got to get somebody early in the draft that can come in and start putting pressure on the quarterback because that will take this defense to the next level if they can get someone to put pressure on the quarterback because i love you know i love buckner i love thomas inside they have really good players on the defensive line the linebackers if foster is there and malcolm smith comes back healthy it looks pretty good and we love the secondary, but that missing piece, somebody's got to put pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, and they're going to try Eric Armstead out at the Leo position, and I just think that's kind of a last-ditch effort to see if they can get anything out of him. I'm not sure if he's even going to make it out of training camp on the team, but they've got that fifth-year option on him that they want to. That I believe they have until May 3rd to, to pick up or decline. And I, a lot of that will depend on the draft. And like you said, they're, they're in dire need of a pass rusher, but the Jerry Itachu pick uh, the the signing I, I i like it a lot because i just don't think he's been one of those guys that's been able to realize his potential Al. he was sitting behind melvin ingram and joey bosa were two of the better pass rushers and defensive linemen in the league so he really he got a fair shot i i think for for part of his time there and he produced but once the injury started to pile up and he he was kind of buried on the depth chart he really ne- never got a chance to to play and and a lot of times these guys come in on these one-year deals and they play really well because again as you said it's a prove it deal like prove it to me that you can play and then you can get the extension that you're looking for. So I think that, that he's a viable option there. I think that he's going to get some play again, as I said, Cassius Marsh, he played well last year uh, in, in the limited role. And Eli Harold, I think is another guy that, that he's kind of just stuck around. Like he hasn't really distinguished himself in, in his career yet, but he's just kind of stuck around and he's a, he's a solid player, but nothing really spectacular. So I think that, that extra push that they're looking for is just some guy that's just like jaw-droppingly spectacular. And there are a lot of the draft. There are a lot of guys that they can pick at number nine if they choose to stay there. Harold Landry, there's Tremaine Edmonds, there's um, Davenport as well, who may go later in the first round. There's several guys that they can get that will fill that that void at pass rusher. And I think that that may be where they where they go ultimately in the first pick of Quentin Nelson's off the board. Now I don't wanna I don't wanna share my pick yet because I don't want to burn the draft show that we're gonna have, but I think that that that's definitely in play but the point still remains out is is mentioning that they filled most of their holes if not all their holes through free agency like cassius, cassius marsh is still a pass rusher right natasha is still a pass rusher they may not be superstar level pass rushers but they're guys who are serviceable that they can just stick in there and as either a stopgap or a guy that can split time and platoon with somebody else and i'm I'm just super pumped man like this this offseason, Al, it's been so awesome. Like the first week of free agency has been, it's been crazy. We've seen some crazy contracts handed out. The Niners were active and people were freaking out one way or the other. It's just, it's, it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun, man. 
it is fun. It is fun to have that interest and in, in going back and forth with it again. And it's going to be even more fun now to kind of shift our interest or shift our focus, I should say, to the draft, which is where we're going to be headed next show as we move into who the Niners are going to take. And the I mean, where I saw a crazy trade um, with the Jets and the Colts and the, and the Jets moving up and the Colts dropping back. And the Colts probably have their eyes on Bradley Chubb, who could be somebody the Niners obviously would want to for a pass rusher mm-hmm. to see how that plays out as well. And we're going to have our, our mock draft show. We did pretty good on our mock draft last year we took we had foster right yeah i had foster and i think hiccatini although i had them drafting him like really late i think those were the two i hit on Mm. that's i think i I had foster and and i have to go back and see who i who else i drafted but we thought that ruben foster was going to go number two and (laughs) we're half right yeah, I mean, we we still get credit for that, but I'm super excited because oh, it just feels like they're closer. It feels like they're they're really close. And and talking to Eric in our interview, like he, it seems like the team knows they're pretty close too. Like they knew they were close last year when they were losing all those games by less than five points. So to get a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, and and I, want, I actually want to get your thoughts on that. Like, what do you mm-hmm. think about the the deal? What do you think about Jimmy Garoppolo signing that big deal? Like, are you kind of concerned that he only has seven games, or are you one of those people like myself who's who's like, this guy is the real deal. We don't need to see more of him. Like, he's got that it factor. I think he's the real deal. I think he's got that it, it factor. Do I? There may still be growing pains. He may still have a, a few bad games here and there. But a few reasons I think that one is everyone we've talked to whether it's been on the air, off the air, even things we've read, just nobody ever says like, yeah, he did this, but everybody's like, this guy is the real deal. Do you remember when we talked to Jeff Christensen, his quarterback coach? Do you remember the things he said when he was like, Mm -hmm. no, you know, I told this guy's going to make a hundred million dollars. Like he said, he said, we talked to him right before Garoppolo started against the Bears. He's like, I don't see why there's any reason why the Niners can't win this week. You know, this, this kid is good. Look at what you saw in New England. And he was, and he just lit it up. And he looks like a leader and he looks poised and he has a quick release. He's just got everything. He moves well in the pocket. He's got everything you want. He can be a bit of a gunslinger at times, but you know, okay. So there's going to be some turnovers. There's going to be, you know, you take the good with the bad. And I think there's going to be a lot more good than bad. The other thing that makes me confident is even, let's say he's even not as good as he looked last year, right? Let's say there's a little bit of a fallback with him. Mm -hmm. You still have Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan is still going to put him in the best possible place. Kyle Shanahan makes any quarter quarterback look good. You, for the most part. Um, right. And you could say it didn't happen with Brian Hoyer, but Shanahan's going to put him in a position to succeed. So even if he's not quite what we thought he was going to be, he's still going to be very good. So it was completely worth it. And for me, you know, I'm not going to say he's going to be Tom Brady, but do I think he's going to be the next Pro Bowl quarterback in the Niners? Absolutely. And anytime you get a guy like that, you got to lock him down. And just the excitement that he brought to the fan base and the way that he changed the atmosphere of the team, they had no choice, but to resign him and get him back in the fold. And Kyle Shannon knows what he's looking at. And I think this is going to be a marriage that's going to last for a long time for the Niners. So I was listening to the radio and, and KMBR this morning, the Murph, the Murph and Mac show, Brian Murphy, who's been on our show, by the way, shout out to Murph. Um, and I think that they were talking to God, was it uh, Jeff Dini? I, I don't remember who they're talking to, but they, they were having a conversation about how much cap room the 49ers roll over and they're regularly. So since, you have been able to roll over cap, which was implemented in the last CBA agreement. Since you've been over, able to roll over cap, I believe the Browns have been the number one team to roll over cap, and the 49ers have been number two. And I think like Jacksonville has been number three. Mm-hmm. So every year they're rolling over a ton of cap room, and, and partially that's you know Trent Baalke not wanting to sign anybody and just wanting to get like ACL guys and all that stuff. But <laughs> they regularly 
were a team that would not spend in free agency. They just wouldn't. It just wasn't. They were a draft and develop team. How many times do we hear, you know, from Trent Balky, oh, we're a draft and develop team and we don't like to sign free agents. So, so uh, I just think that he was one of those guys that uh, didn't want to get free agents. And, and because of that, that's partially why they have so much cap room now. But it's also why they didn't, they didn't really have a roster two years ago. So I think that that's kind of changed now. I think that now with John Lynch, they're, they're less hesitant to roll over cap because they realize that saving you cap, cap money from year to year is not going to do anything for you except for probably make your team worse because you're not signing anybody better. And they're not hesitant to, to hand out money, to big money to, to, to players. And I think that that sets a precedent around the league and that, that players will see that. And more players over the years will be more willing to come here. And some people were kind of freaking out about the fact that the 49ers weren't really making moves at the, at the onset of free agency and, and signing anybody after Richard Sherman. But people have to realize that they are not going to throw money around recklessly. They're going to throw money at guys that they think are going to be part of the system. And this is very much a system-oriented team. It's not going to be a bunch of guys that they draft. Like the, the former GM used to draft guys based off of arm length and hand size and all of these weird measurables, right? John Lynch is draft, drafting off of, and Adam Peters is scouting off of fit within the, within the organization. So the 49ers saw a fit with Jimmy Garoppolo. Obviously, he, he was a great fit. You know, the guy was, was lights out when he played. But they saw that, and they, and they chose to reward him. And I have, no, I have no problem with that. I have no problem with the size of the contract. When you have a franchise quarterback, you keep him. And I think that he will be the first 49ers Pro Bowl quarterback in a long time. And I think that he will be eventually, hopefully, hoisting another Lombardi. And they've left themselves money too to resign Jaquaski Tar and Trent Brown and DeForest Buckner when he comes up. So they're smart with their money. They always are. Um, Pragmatic is great with contracts. It's one thing I never worry about when I see the, the contracts. The McKinnon one surprised me, but you know when the numbers come in, it's going to be a team friendly deal. There are, they always are. So they've done a great job. Yeah, Niners are set up to really do some good things in the future. And I can't wait to, and I can't wait to talk about this draft with you. It's going to be fun to go over that over the next couple of shows. Probably about, I think, two shows before the draft. And one of those will be definitely Zane and I are do we'll do our mock draft. So definitely look forward to that. And uh, happy one year anniversary, Al. We've been doing this for over a year. Oh, when did we start? Last it was last March, right? Last last February we, we started doing wow. this, man. What yeah, what a I magical what a magical ride. Just it has a w- w- crazy. You didn't get me anything, man. You didn't get me from <laughs> I'm not for a while. I'm not getting you anything. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and no, oh, it's it's almost. It's, it's, it's almost been, show 49, too. That's the ironic thing. Which yeah, show are we show on? 49. I think it's, it's 40. We did 47. I think this is 48, and I think oh, 49 wow. will be the next one. <laughs> so I can't believe we've done 48 of these things. Yeah, and it's been awesome. It's been a blast. We've, we've had so much contact with the fans, which has been great. And yeah. by the way, thank you so much to the fans out there, man. Like, you, guys, you guys make this show. You guys make us do what we want to do. Like We're just two guys that love talking about football, but the fact that you guys give, give us such good feedback and interact with us on Twitter the respectful ones um, and support the show. It just means so much to us. And it's, it's, it's why we do it for you guys. Yeah. It's been a great ride. Hopefully, hopefully we'll be doing this this time next year. So see how it goes, see how it goes. Just got to hope people keep tuning in and we'll be good to go. Yep. We'll give, we keep, we'll keep bringing it, man. Hopefully people, people keep listening. Cool, man. All right. Well, next, so we're probably two shows away from the mock draft. So next show, who knows? We'll probably get into little draft stuff. Hopefully the Niners will sign a few more people and, and we'll keep this train moving. So for Zane Nackley, this is Al Sacco. Thanks, everybody. Peace.